This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Time can feel like it's in short supply. Between work, family, and friends, there's very little time left just for you. What would you do with an extra hour in your day? What's important to you? Therapy can help you find what matters to you so that you can do more of it. It's a great way to increase self-awareness, build a greater sense of purpose, deal with overthinking, and more. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online and designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Learn to make time for what makes you happy with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash be here now today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P.com slash be here now. It's like being washed by the rivers of the Ganga that are considered sacred. And the projections that we create are created by our own karmas that we might have accumulated from the past, um, from maybe a different lifetime also, and we're born into this life with them, but also whatever upbringing we've had, whatever life circumstances. And many people bathe in the Ganga to have those washed away. Why? Why? So that we don't have to create additional karmas as a response to those karmas, but also for clarity. It's all about purifying, right? That's what the practice is helping us drop all the stuff that are considered obscurations or kaleshas to seeing clearly. Because if we see clearly, we can understand. If we understand, we can have a compassionate heart. And with that compassionate heart, we can feel our interconnectedness. And then what else is there to do in this body but feel that interconnectedness, feel that love, and share what, you know, we depend on everyone. And the more we feel the interconnectedness, the more we also feel the strength of our own being because we aren't different from anyone else. The separateness starts to fall away because a lot of our pain comes from feeling like we're separate. Hello, friends, and welcome back to the Creativity, Spirituality, and Making a Buck podcast with David Nickturn on the Be Here Now Network. My name is Michael Cammers, your host and monologist, and on behalf of all of us at Be Here Now and Dharma Moon, we sincerely hope this podcast finds you as well as can be, and we are grateful that you are joining us. Here at CSM, our guide, David Nickturn, discusses how to lead an integrated life involving spiritual practice, creative expression, and right livelihood with guests who embody and manifest these principles in their own life. David is an Emmy-winning composer and music producer, a senior Buddhist teacher in the lineage of Chögyam Trungpa Rinpoche, an author of two books currently out on Wisdom Publications, and the CEO of Dharma Moon, a global online mindfulness platform. So, if you enjoy what you are hearing here and would like to connect with David and us in community, please head over to dharmamoon.com. We are always running lots of programming and workshops around practicing mindfulness in daily life. So, stick around for the outro monologue if you'd like to hear more about upcoming programming. Okay, so, my role up front is to set the table, if you will, for the discussion that is the main course of the episode. So here goes. In this episode, we are fortunate to have the Kirtan singer and performer 
environmental activist and teacher Nina Rao joining us. David and Nina are longtime friends and colleagues from their years working together with Krishna Das, and this talk exhibits that warmth, as you will see, right out of the gate. Over the course of an hour, David and Nina discuss her relationship with her teacher and guru Sidima, engage in a really deep discussion on Kirtan and its history, as well as discussing how Nina approaches all of this while applying sound business principles to her management of Krishna Das's organization. They also discuss an important project Nina is up to composing melodies for the 21 Tara Mantras, all while hitting many other compelling points in between. To provide a little more context, we'll uh, share some of Nina's bio. Nina first learned bhajans as a young girl from her grandfather, and the chant stayed quietly with her until she rediscovered this beautiful practice with Krishna Das in New York as an adult, and since then has been his business manager and accompanies him musically. In 1998, she met her guru, Sri Siddhima, in the foothills of the Himalayas and spent time with her regularly for 19 years. She has been chanting regularly as her main practice, has recorded albums, leads chant events, studies Vita chanting and sacred texts, and is a hospice volunteer and also a podcast host on the Be Here Now Network. Uh, she goes on Yantra pilgrimages and is a wildlife conservationist. For more information, visit ninaraochant.com. That's N-I-N-A-R-A-O chant.com. So while I was looking around on Nina's website, I found the following paragraph. I think it's beautiful and may say more about Nina than a bullet-pointed autobiographical list, as it feels like it was written directly from her heart, and it goes like this. By a stroke of grace, I was shown that there's a chance for me to find what I'm yearning for. Something simple, but not easy. Peace of mind and ease of heart. Life is a complex, exploratory process of daily routines, practice, and analysis, all to cultivate the ability to really trust myself. It takes courage, patience, and faith to walk this path of life. The compass to help me navigate is in the traditions of India that I was attracted to and grew up with, but whose depth of meaning and validity in my own life was revealed to me through Western interpretation. Chanting is my vehicle, my path, and the destination. Beautiful. And now, without further ado, we present to you Creativity, Spirituality, and Making a Buck with Nina Rao and David Nickturn in discussion. Thank you. Okay. Welcome, everybody, to the Creativity, Spirituality, and Making a Buck podcast. We're back. And uh, my guest in this session is the Boy, if you want to think of a great adjective for this person, we could have a contest. Wonderful, lovely, uh, luminous, um, deeply practical, uh, profoundly engaged, um, wise beyond her few years, even so. <laughs> Nina Rao. Nina, welcome. So great to have you. Oh, David. I knew I had to do this podcast, but I wasn't expecting that <laughs> adornment. That was very beautiful. Thank you for that. It's uplifting to hear. Well, and it's just off the top of the head. So if I go down a couple of levels, there's even even better things to say. You've been an incredible friend over the years to me. 
you've covered my action a couple of times when I needed coverage. Um, I remember you coming to the hospital with me when they had this or that thing and, and just sort of, um, you're somebody who my high school fencing coach used to say, when the going gets tough, the tough get going. And I think that really describes you. So there's not even a flinch when somebody needs help or support or a good friend. You're, you're that. So, uh, yeah, then, um, you also have a really interesting life that I think people, some people will know different aspects of it and others won't, uh, the way we connected at first is you are the manager for Krishna Das and, um, in, in terms of, you know, his operation, you, you run the, the, um, operational aspect of his, um, touring and recording and so forth. And, uh, you're also in the band, which is funny, you know, and like, uh, it's like the hair club for men. It's like, and I'm also a member, you know, <laughs> God, Ed. so you're also the, um, you know, singing and sometimes playing per- percussion and cartels in particular in the band. You have a deep groove. I should have added that to the overhead, uh, the, 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 the preliminary comments, because sometimes when the band's swimming a little bit, I just tune into your groove because it's like so- rock, rocking in the pocket. Um, and you are also an art, a kirtan artist on your own and have an expanding career in that, in that department. Um, and you're a mom, uh, you know, so in this podcast, we can just sort of talk about all those things and how they work together. Isn't that the interesting part of it? Has it all weaved together? Well, it has to. Okay. Why does it have to? Because there's really not any separate parts of our oneself. And we have to live with that oneself that we are. It goes with us wherever we go. And I don't see any way to live one's life by trying to compartmentalize them. Mm. Like, I don't even understand. I mean, you can compartmentalize them, like it's all on the same train. but um, they have to align with your own stream of consciousness. And I mean like our internal stream of consciousness, like how do we relate to everything in the world? You can't be one way, one place, and another way, another place. That seems impossible to me. Well, in particular, you know, a lot of our uh, community is interested in spiritual practices. You know, we're in Dharma Moon, we have a lot of Buddhist practices but also you know a broader a broader stroke for people doing uh cultivating their well-being in the world and you have a very very centered and strong spiritual practice it's like you know seems to me to be the core of your life and it's uh maybe you could just share a little bit about what that is with people and um your your lineage and your history there sure you know i didn't So I'll just start by saying that um, the first time that I took Uma, my daughter, when she was four and a half months old, to um, meet my guru, Siddhima, Ma said to me, she said, look at these children. They have, they're born with such incredible samskaras that they're brought right to the Guru's feet, and she was talking about Maharaji's temple, Neemkaru's mm. temple. And you, look, you had to wait till you were in your 30s before you found your path, actually. 
20. 20? Yeah, I met Chung Prabhu in, uh, in 1970. I was 22 years old. For you, not for me. Oh, you I, had to you had to wait till your thirties. Was telling me that. Oh, okay. I think it's yeah, you. Yeah, yeah. yeah. No, no. Yeah. She was telling me. She was saying about. Uma. Oh, she's still talking. I got you. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 She yeah. was, you know, she was. I took Uma and I placed her at her feet, and she was oh, playing uh, uh, with her and looking at her, and she said, "This child has such incredible samskaras, like she's been brought right in at the feet of Maharaji by bringing me, bringing her to the temple, but also that she was born to me." already on the path, like already found my way, so to speak. Mm -hmm. But it took me, because when I first sort of met Maharaji was when I first started singing with Krishna Das um, unexpectedly at a yoga retreat in 1996. And it ignited my search for a path. Like I understood how important it was, one, to find a guru. I thought it would take the shape of finding a guru, but ultimately what I understood is that the practice is the guru, actually. Ah. And the way to the guru. It's all. It's everything, you know. Mm -hmm. um, and I didn't expect that I would actually find a guru in the body. Um, and I call her guru because I love to take teachings from many different spiritual teachers, you know. We, we go and see so many different teachers but you know she really has occupied my heart that's where she lives that is the presence that i invoke or i turn to mm. for refuge and this is siddhima this is siddhima and siddhima of course would never say yeah She's, you know, she everything she ever said was given up to Maharaji. Mm -hmm. If I asked her anything, she would say, I don't know, Maharaji said this. And people say when they were with Maharaji, Maharaji would say, I don't know, ask Hanuman. <laughs> and then, you know, if you ask Hanuman, Hanuman says, well, I don't know, Ram is the doer and the knower of everything. So <laughs> nobody wants to take the um, praise yeah, but it's also like the complaint department in a department store. <laughs> they just keep kicking it upstairs. Yeah, but the good news here <laughs> is, is that when you take your complaint to this department, people pay attention. Oh. So she, 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 was she very responsive to you as a, as a mentor? It's impossible to even describe what that's like. So responsive, yes. You know, the moment I took her hand, so to speak, which she was offering to me right away, um, by just in her beautiful presence, um, she showed me, and it's a, it's, a, it's a difficult way to describe it, but she showed me that she trusted in my heart. And because she trusted in my heart, I could. Mm. That's the way it feels to me. This, like this, and it's it's impossible to really describe what that, how that happens, and what that is. But and so that's why I say, like, she moved into my heart, like, and it's just remained over these years. And yes, I had a physical relationship. I went to see her for over twenty, about twenty years, every year almost. Wow. And even 
And so from the moment I met her, she was involved in all kinds of practicalities of my life, you know, how I took care of my health. Uh, and I don't mean sending me emails every day. I'm just talking about like meeting her once a year and her giving me advice, seeing me through my marriages. Um, well, one marriage with her and uh, divorce raising my child, my work situation, my own chanting. But mostly it had to do with, and it's interesting because it's bringing me back to your first question, which is integrating everything. She is, was a fully integrated being in the sense that you could ask her a question about anything, anything at all. And the clarity of her perspective, like it was just cut right through everything. And it was so clear what was needed for, for oneself. If you asked her about you, she would tell you. And every movement, every gesture, every glance for her was in the direction of Maharaji's, the word that she used to describe that space of presence, of awareness, and of interconnectedness. You know, so she could see, she could see what we needed and she would tell us what we needed without too much fanfare of any kind. It was very clear. So, yeah, she was uh, uh, very responsive. Wow. And she still is. That's yeah, the I, I mean, I don't know about everybody out there in uh, um, podcast land, but. I'm feeling this as you're talking about it. It's very much coming through as a, um, a heart, a heart tone. And, um, I, of course, know quite from, from the, the Krishna Das community, the Ram Das community, your community, um, a lot of people who've had these, you know, encounters and the fact that, uh, she was so present and available at the earth level. You know, this is something that um, it's an interesting question. Of course, there are people who relate to gurus who are passed away. You could even include Jesus Christ in that in that category. They're not in, embodied. Um, you know, um, there are people who relate to Buddhist sages and masters who, who are no longer embodied. Um, there are people who come to study at Dharma Moon who are very connected with Trungpa Rinpoche, even though he passed away thirty five or more years ago. Um, Maharaji, uh, and by the way, we're talking about Neem Karoli Baba, for those of you who don't know, who is a great Indian Mahasiddha um, and the uh, the scion of this community, really, you know, the kind of a pre and progenitor of it in some sense. And he's the one who Ramdas went and visited in India and came back and wrote, be here now, just for the, you know, the big lay of the land for people who are not familiar um, but the idea of having a guru embodied in the Buddhist tradition is pretty important uh, because your imagination, your projections can get get in, you know involved if if the person's not actually embodied and able to communicate directly back to you. Um, did you find it was very important to have you? You obviously have a connection with Maharaji. Did you find it was really important for you to have a living, embodied person that you could relate to as your guru? For me, yes. You know, when I first heard about Maharaji, um, Krishnadas was talking about him in 1996. But the way in which he spoke about him, it you know, he felt so present and alive. 
And I was really devastated when I learned that he had died. Mm. You know, over 20 years before I met Krishna. <laughs> yeah. And it was the flavor and the tone, like you said, the heart tone. Like I really resonated with that feeling, that presence that arose when Krishnadas was speaking about him and also when Krishnadas chanted. I mean, that was definitely the the call, was mm. hearing Krishnadas sing. And it brought me back to a time, when I heard him, it brought me back to a time when I heard my grandfather chant, because he was a very beautiful singer of traditional South Indian bhajans from India. Wow, you grew yeah. up hearing that. I didn't grow up hearing that. I heard him when I was young and um, I immediately knew that I wanted more of it. So I asked him to share certain things with us and we were kids, you know, back yeah. I was like nine, 10 years old. And also he had in his home um, some of the sacred texts printed in English. So I was able to read the Ramayan, Mahabharat, the stories of Krishna. And um, so I was very familiar with ritual, chanting, reading of sacred texts, the way in which many households in India practice spirituality. You know, they don't necessarily sit and meditate. There are people who do, mm -hmm. but a lot of it is very ritual based and storytelling based. Sure. Yeah, and, and singing is a big part of it. Like even now, you go to India, every temple, there's devotional chanting going on of some form. Yeah, you know? and that's beautiful because it can include everyone. You don't have to be initiated into anything. It's all part of householder life. And so, um, I forgot the original question. Yeah. <laughs> well, well, actually, where we where we wander off from. Um, but all everything you just said is completely compelling. And also the fact that it's just part of the culture and embedded in the culture and the everyday life. That is something I think that there's a stretch going on in the West, how to do that. Yeah. Because our, our culture does not have this embedded. But the question was, was it necessary to have a, live, a living yes, or, yes. or compelling to have a living embodied uh, guru for you? It was at the time. Mm -hmm. And it was literally in search of Maharaji that I went to Kenchi which is where Krishnadasan all spent a lot of time with Maharaji in the foothills of the Himalayas in India. So I figured, okay, he's not in the body anymore, but at least let me just go to the temple. Like maybe if I go there, mm. I'll find, because, you know, I have visited a lot of temples over my lifetime and I've always felt the sacredness of the space. And speaking of Jesus, I went to I studied in Christian and Catholic schools when I grew up because we lived in countries outside of India and they oh. were the only English speaking medium schools that I could go to. And they had chapels where the kids would go for mass. And because I wasn't um, Catholic or Christian, I couldn't go, but I asked special permission. I said, if I don't take, um, just the word just slipped my mind uh, when you take the um, prasad. Yeah, but not prasad. What is it in church? Um, oh, the biscuit, the, <laughs> the the body the and gone. you know what I'm talking about. Um, yeah, it's like the body and the uh, blood blood of Christ. Yeah. yeah. So if I don't take that, right? Can I still come and sing the hymns? <laughs> they allowed me to. <laughs> <laughs> 
Mm. And uh, so I was a very pulled to it, you know, even when I was young, but in library class, we had a library class. I read stories of Jesus and Nancy Drew, but Jesus. Now and, there's a hit concept right there. <laughs> Jesus and Nancy Drew. That's a good title. It worked for me. Yeah. Wow. Um, so, yes. Yeah, so when I, and I think that just hearing Krishnadas ex- experience with Maharaji, it really felt like I would be saved if I, you know, I was in a moment of my life where I had to find a different way for myself. Clearly, I didn't know, but having started yoga and doing breath practices, I realized like, okay, there's something here that yeah. can be helpful to me. So I did go to Kenchi thinking that I would, something would happen. I don't know what. And it was only there. And Siddhima was never spoken about. She always liked to kept, keep herself really quiet. Mm. But Krishna said, he said, if you're going, then you must meet Siddhima. Because he had known of her already. Oh, so you were going to see the temple in the first place. In the first place. Yeah. And mm-hmm. then when he told me about her, he gave me... Um, a letter that I needed to go and stay at the temple or visit the temple or introduce me to the temple. And there she was. Now, did you have to set up an appointment or she just happened to be there? Or we, wrote that a letter. we wrote a letter and we went during Devi Navratri, which is a big celebration mm-hmm. in the temple. And it, we knew she would be there. Um, so by the time before we left, we knew we were going to meet this being. And I was so excited. I said, oh, she's going to be my guru for sure. Mm. And did she speak English or, or did you have a no. trans- translator? No, I, I don't need a translator. She speaks Hindi and I speak Hindi. Oh, you speak Hindi, of course. Yeah. yeah. So that ended up being a great bonus because I ended up being the translator for many Westerners who came right. subsequently. Um, although she did uh, have, she did have Jaya who um, was her caregiver and personal mm-hmm. confidant, assistant, do everything person and Jaya is very fluent in English so she was helpful for you know she was the one who did everything when I wasn't there with my people so um, but it was a beautiful experience for me because I got to be in the room with her as the transmission was flowing through her and get really present with what I communicated to the person who was hearing the translation you know it's not my I'm not a professional translator. Right. I'm certainly not 100% fluent in Hindi, but feeling the essence of what she was saying and communicating that in English was a beautiful practice for me, actually. Okay, but we're straying again. So <laughs> let me go back. To no, the- not really. Not really, because you're okay. describing, uh, you know, what it's like to be in, in the uh, presence of a genuine holder of the transmission that you're seeking and and how much more vivid that can be if the person's embodied and also how uh, it, it corrects any kind of a projected or idealized uh, situation. Because sometimes she probably told you stuff you didn't want to hear, I'll bet. Many a time. <laughs> Many a time. P- people don't much have gurus in their dream, in their visions that tell them stuff they don't want to hear. Mm. Have you ever noticed that? Yes and no, except... Um, <laughs> I've had like literal dreams where I've been told something which just feels like, really? (laughs) Um, But that being said, I found it's like being washed 
by the rivers of the Ganga that are considered sacred. And the projections that we create are created by our own karmas that we might have accumulated from the past, um, from maybe a different lifetime also, and we're born into this life with them, but also whatever upbringing we've had, whatever life circumstances. And many people bathe in the Ganga to have those washed away. Why? Sure. Why? So that we don't have to create additional karmas as a response to those karmas, but also for clarity. It's all about purifying, right? That's what the practice is helping us drop all the stuff that are considered obscurations or kaleshas to seeing clearly. Because if we see clearly, we can understand if we understand, we can have a compassionate heart. And with that compassionate heart, we can feel our interconnectedness. And then what else is there to do in this body but feel that interconnectedness, feel that love, and share what, you know, we depend on everyone. And the more we feel the interconnectedness, the more we also feel the strength of our own being because we aren't different from anyone else. The separateness starts to fall away because a lot of our pain comes from feeling like we're separate. I don't know. That's been my experience. And with her, she didn't give lectures. You know, she didn't talk in this right. way at all. It was mm -hmm. all about just the way in which she served everyone, made sure everyone was taken care of, fed the things they needed, given the things they needed when we went to the ashram. If we went to her with a, in, with, with a problem or if I wrote a message and said, you know, this really difficult thing is happening in my life, her response would be, tonight we're going to pray for you. Yes. We're going to offer Hanuman Chalisas for you, or whatever it is. So if she could do that, if her offering was to pray for me, That's all the strength that I needed to pray for myself and for other beings. Because mm -hmm. there comes a point where there's nothing left to do but pray. Send good wishes and pray for clarity, for understanding, and for acceptance. And gratitude and whatever it takes to get through each moment in a good way. It's a good title, you know, nothing left to do. Yeah. Cool title. Are you going to write a book? <laughs> I have no idea what I would write a book on, but well, um, you know me, you're talking to Nuji here, right? Tell me Nuji, what does Nuji want me to write? <laughs> well, we you know, we could zoom in on it, but that's quite an interesting journey you've had. Yeah. Um and I think for many of us who are like you know, you, you're a hybrid culturally, which makes you a very interesting bridge to walk across. Um, because, uh, you know, somebody like KD is also a hybrid cultural, culturally, but he's from Long Island. You know, it's, it's, you actually have a foot in both worlds legitimately. But I would say, you know, would you say that you would characterize yourself more as a Westerner at this point in your life, uh, sort of, or, or more as an, uh, uh, an Asian, Indian, whatever you want to, however you want to characterize that. Are you, are you dual passport, literally? Um, I can't have a dual passport because India doesn't allow a dual passport. Uh, 
but I do. I am an overseas citizen of India. Oh, wow. Probably <laughs> so. Um, so I don't need a visa to go back. So I, I can I can move back and forth. And so is my my daughter. Um, it's an interesting thing. Like I used to say to uh, Shamdas, you know, who you've also met. I sure. would say to him, you know, he'd talk to me in Hindi all the time. I said, Shamdas, you are more Indian than I am. <laughs> you know, that It really felt that way to me. But I see that... Um, <laughs> Also a Jew from Long Island. Right. And, um, <laughs> or I don't know, was he from Long Island or from Westchester or someplace I like that? He was like a Connecticut person. Yeah, Westchester. Okay. Yeah. It doesn't matter. Yeah. I just find that, um, you know, I've had so many conversations with people about practicing in the West and is it cultural appropriation and do I, mm-hmm. that, you know, and this kind of thing. And my response is always that I am so grateful that I I met this Jewish guy from Long Island who <laughs> learned the Hanuman Chalisa, you know? Yeah. It, it was the bridge. It was what I needed. And also, even though I was very immersed to a certain degree in the cultural aspect of spiritual practice in India, right. which is pujas, going to huh. the temple, reading the Ramayana, philosophically and psychologically, I didn't understand the importance of it. And it was through Krishnadas and then meeting people like you Mm. who were involved in the Dharma from the Buddhist perspective has been incredibly helpful to me. You know, just to hear the way it's spoken about in your tradition. And there's a really beautiful blend of spirituality, emotional states, and then psychologically how it affects us and what we can do and how it helps us. You know, that's never really spoken about so clearly in our tradition, the older traditions from India. But like Bob Thurman says, everything from Buddhism came from the ancient philosophies in India that got lost. And now he's trying to bring it back and so Mm. on. But Mm. And there's tremendous beauty in it. And that's the thing about the Indian tradition. If it resonates with you, even if you don't, uh, in a scholarly way, understand everything, the beauty of it Mm. calls you in such a way that you'll do it. And that's necessary for any practice. You have to do your practice. Otherwise, it's not going to, that can't work on you. But what you're alluding to here is a kind of key stroke for, uh, for Dharma Moon, which is the creativity piece, that creativity and spirituality are interactive and and together with like livelihood and and you know uh, everyday life, um, you know we say all those those three things have equal weight. That's one of the ways we talk about it. So, for example, uh, the music piece of and the art, uh, you know, sacred art and sacred music, uh, and also then incorporating elements of secular art and music into those and blending them. I would say. Uh, is a catch for many people. They 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 wouldn't get at it. Uh, um, you know, uh, Katie always says the music's the syrup and the mantra's the medicine. But um, and 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 he and I will, as you know, go back and forth on a variety of things like that. Because um, I I think the music's inherently got its own complete transcendent vector to it. Um, but the idea that uh, we are expressing ourselves and 
we're copying grooves and we're playing, you know, we're, we're writing tunes and, and, uh, you know, working on performance aspect of, 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 of singing and, and, and learning our instruments and playing, playing well. And we're trying to get good musicians together to, to, to play these things. So, you know, how would the Kirtan go if like, you know, the drummer couldn't keep a beat? Is that still Kirtan? I guess it is. <laughs> Strictly speaking, yes. <laughs> yeah, you know, I mean, we're yeah, but we are we have some standards, right? That are, that are part of a, our creative uh, expression side, and uh, it seems to be a fine line because we're not giving in with this kind of uh, uh, you know presentation to a kind of conventional idea of like uh, performance, you know. It's not performative in that same way. Um, but so what is the difference between, you know, for example, uh, one of your kirtans and a Leonard Cohen concert? What's the difference? Um, well, first, let me just talk about kirtan for one second. Um, you know, that tradition of practice evolved from a very ancient chanting practice that, you know, many thousands of years ago from the Rig Veda which is like considered the original seeds of knowledge were planted back then. And how long ago is that? Would that be? It's they, I can't get a straight answer from anyone because they weren't written down. It was, it's an oral tradition. It's hard to say it could be that I haven't actually got a, an answer, but we're talking about over 5,000 years ago, at least. Okay. Yeah. My voice is saying eight to 10,000 years. That's what it's I'm getting. possible. Yeah, yeah very yeah. much so. And, mm-hmm. you know, that's why I don't want to put a number on it. Sure. And so Kirtan, as we're experiencing it here in the West now, is a, um, it's a, a menu, so to speak, that caters to a broad base of people. So let me just start by saying that, you know, the original Vedas are said to have been transmitted in the form of sound syllables, mantras, by seers or sages, rishis is the word that's used for them, from their tapasya, whatever sadhana they had done for realization and wisdom and transformation was then transmitted in this form. So it wasn't in a colloquial language necessarily. Uh, Whatever spoken language was happening at the time for day-to-day conversation. So there were only a few people who were able to receive it because it was an oral practice. They had to receive it and then uh, be able to replicate it exactly in order for the potency of the practice to remain. So a lot of people are too busy trying to feed their children, feed their cows, do the work in the fields. It's not available to everyone. So it became, over time, uh, something that only Brahmins Mm -hmm. might practice. And the Sanskrit language then became something very separate from what was spoken daily. Mm. But then there was a revolutionary time period where it was understood, maybe through the presence of enlightened beings such as Sri Ramakrishna and anybody who preceded him, that divinity 
is embodied in beings such as him and Maharaji and so forth, but also in the form of practice that was made available for householders. Mm-hmm. So you could mm-hmm. then sing the name of the divine in a particular way where you're just repeating the name of the divine being who has many, many forms in India, as you've seen in visual art. And even in the Buddhist tradition, we have so many different versions of the Buddha and various Avadalukiteshwara and Tara and so on. It goes on, the celestial beings. So there's the names. There are hymns or bhajans that are sung as um, forms of adoration of the divine so that we can get into that space. And again, much easier than meditating, right, is to get together in a group, have a melody and sing together. This is where music comes in. But the intention of what is being chanted and sung is looking toward that place of refuge and sanctuary that is in the tradition, in the form of these divine beings, who we don't really know who they are until we know who they are, which is when we're at a certain other stage in our lives. But for now, they're described in a particular way as wisdom, creativity is a big part of it. Many of the goddesses are described as creativity itself because Mm -hmm. in India, the goddess is creation. There's pure consciousness, that is stillness in the absolute form. And then there's Shakti, which is the feminine aspect, which is everything that comes after that, all of manifestation. And that's pure creativity. Without that, without Shakti, nothing happens. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Time can feel like it's in short supply. Between work family, and friends, there's very little time left just for you. What would you do with an extra hour in your day? What's important to you? Therapy can help you find what matters to you so that you can do more of it. It's a great way to increase self-awareness, build a greater sense of purpose, deal with overthinking, and more. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online and designed to be convenient flexible, and suited to your schedule. Learn to make time for what makes you happy with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash BeHereNow today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash BeHereNow. And Shakti is considered feminine? Shakti is considered feminine. But the original kind of Thrust is considered masculine? Yes. You know, what's interesting is that is, uh, as people are exploring gender identity so, you know, uh, in such detail these days, in such depth, we had a, a, a class at Dharma Moon where we were doing a sadhana practice, and the whole question of masculine and feminine, of course, is being vetted at the local level. People are really challenging those definitions. But then when we got up into the kind of more deity level, still describing something as masculine and feminine energetically is controversial to some people these days. Have you know have you noticed that? Yeah, that's definitely so. And um it's important to recognize that masculine and feminine qualities are just names 
that are given to qualities that exist inside all of us. And what we're trying to do is to develop them to their fullest and integrate them also in a good way, right? By living a good life, because we need both of them. Whatever we consider masculine or feminine, it's almost unnecessary to give it a label, but culturally, that's what we do. And mm-hmm. also biologically, we are conditioned to understanding what is masculine and feminine depending on what our anatomy is, right? So okay. now that's being taken apart. And just to clarify, if you want to talk, give names to masculine and feminine, it's often referred to as Shiva Shakti. Oh. So Shiva being the masculine, Shakti being the feminine, the creative power, the manifestation of Shiva. But a very common depiction of these two energies is half and half, Ardhaneshwari. So there's feminine on one side, masculine on the other. And I think in, in, in Buddhist traditions, you have other versions of it, you know, yabyam and so on. So, uh, you know, we don't have to get into all that. But the, sim- the simple understanding, like even when we chant Hanuman Chalisa, let's look at Hanuman for a minute. You know, he's shown as muscular and fast and strong. These are things that all of us can have. It doesn't mm-hmm. have to, you don't have to be male for that. But then the look of compassion on his face is what you would consider feminine, what we might consider feminine. And so the deities, in some sense, are non binary. I think so. I mean, it's interesting as I'm watching the evolution of this towards the non binary. Which is, I think, the most, um, I, I'm not an expert, but most recent kind of full on iteration of what um, the gender uh, dialogue becomes. Uh, and, and you see how people are manifesting in that space? It, it, it is similar. And I've, I've, I've almost wanted to find somebody who could represent that view from a really clarified and contemporary perspective and compare it to the, the tantric kind of iconography, uh, quite literally. But, I can suggest someone for you for that. Yeah? yeah. Okay, well we'll get that we'll get that after so we, we won't embarrass them by putting their, their name out there. But um yeah, I mean so you're giving a um exquisite if you want my humble opinion, uh delineation and kind of um pandita style almost, you know, uh, it's it's you're 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 helping people to understand these uh these things that many people are just relating to like kind of at a gross level and intuitive level. Uh, of like, you know, e- even to the point where there's, you know, a rock and roll element to Kirtan where people are just using it as a, as a, as a feel good kind of energetic. What do you think about that? Is that, is that, I, I know there's, um, you know, for you, KD, it's a sacred, uh, uh, and it's a practice element, but aren't there people who are using it just kind of like, uh, kind of, uh, you know, uh, as a form of entertainment almost? I mean, you know, the thing is, for me, my whole entryway into chanting was so unexpected. I am not a trained musician. I don't know anything about music. I've never taken a maybe one music lesson in my life. You know, um, And so it was very much not about um, the music. Even though I love listening to Indian classical music, that's that's a big part of my 
what I like to listen to. So, you know, you have what you listen to. But for me, it was Indian classical music. And But the chanting itself had very little to do with music. I happened to have natural um, good timing and rhythm. It's, again, something that I never learned. But... Nina, you have, as I mentioned earlier, what we call in the biz a deep pocket. I'm, you know? I'm told this, yes. <laughs> yeah, you, 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 which is so, I mean, to me, it's like, oh, please, somebody lay it down so we can all just relax and groove into this. So uh, I don't know where you got that from, but uh, I'm, gl- I'm glad you have it <laughs> for, 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 you know, the benefit of the other musicians playing along. It's very, it's a very good thing. It's helped me to also understand, you know, when I've had to, when I wanted to put out my own chants and just to learn to really trust, you know, what works for me um, without having any knowledge of music at all. But just like if it sounds right, it's, and I I always take the advice of people who are actual musicians, you know. Um, like as a producer or so as a producer but even my accompanists you know oh, okay the many most of them are far more trained than i am mm-hmm. but um so going back to the way in which people chant let's say not even not just here in the west but even in india you know it's india is very musical as you know so a lot of the traditional chants, like I'm learning in my Veda chanting class, you know, my Veda chanting teacher, she's very diplomatic and she'll say, yep, they're chanting such and such mantra. And she's not talking about people in the West. She's talking about Indians on YouTube. Right. She said, you know, it's fine. It's music, but it's not Veda chanting. So right. she's very clear that <laughs> that's not the practice. So, in India, also, there are lineages of practice, like, you know, because they're continuing over many, many thousands of years, swamis, sure. teachers, and so on. And hopefully it won't get lost. And that's why I like to study with my Veda chanting teacher, because she's young, but she's studying from a lineage that goes back many, many generations. And she's keeping it alive by offering it to everyone, mm-hmm. not just Indians. In, we have we have students from 35 different countries in this class because who's to say who's appropriating what? We touched on this before. All our teachers, your teachers, my teachers, they welcomed Westerners. They came to the West to share the practice. So as long and, as... And I'll go further. Trungpa yeah. Rinpoche uh, said unequivocally, some of you will be taking these practices back into Asian context and, you know, it's like KD going to India and people want to hear it from it. And I teach Buddhism in Japan. Every time I do it, I apologize uh, profusely. But the fact is that um, these things are beyond culture, actually. There's an element of it that's, that is uh, a culture is a, is, is a container for it. But um, one of the things happening for bringing Buddhism into the West, for example, is to liberate it from the previous culture at the same time respecting and appreciating it. So, you know, the culture can become an obstacle, actually, if people are just simulating it. That, that I think, is maybe more what people mean by cultural appropriation. You're just faking it, simulating the outer form of it. You're not really going into the depths of it. Um, yeah, you and know. that's really up to the practitioner who's 
practicing with these teachers to really look inside themselves and look at what is being offered by the teacher to make the choice. We can't have, I mean, I understand the work of people who are fighting against cultural appropriation and that's fine. But I think it's important that each practitioner understand exactly what you said right now, which is both things that, you know, culture can be the container, but it can also be the obstacle. And so where do you see the essence of what's being transmitted. So in the same way, the difference between music and chanting, you know, I can't say to you who is a more authentic chanter than another. It's not Mm -hmm. for me to say. Right. But I think those of us who are going out in front of other people and supposedly being leaders, to be very clear about that when we're offering it to people is what are we doing exactly here? Why are we doing it? Are we sharing a practice or, you know, there are many people um, who are skilled, like beautiful singers, musicians. Right. Um, And I've heard people say, well, you know, so-and-so is just, uh, this is easy for them because they take a melody and they don't have to find lyrics for it because the lyrics are given to them. <laughs> I don't even know anything about that. Because <laughs> uh, I could never claim to be a songwriter or, yeah. or a musician, you know, at all. Yeah. So, um, okay, I'm going to jump in right there. Go. Because this is the third time you've said you're not a musician and you're not a trained singer. Ladies, gentlemen, uh, all uh, manner of beings who are in earshot of this attending, Nina is a beautiful singer with a lovely, lovely voice and also a kind of authenticity and genuineness to it that is, um, at the same time as it's welcoming, it's 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 not presumptive, there's nothing imposing about it, uh, and it's very easy to just go into the space with her of her voice, but it's very beautiful. I am a trained musician and I'm saying this, that it's a very beautiful voice and you could sing other stuff if you, if you were, if you wanted to. Um, and right here and now I want to give your latest album is called what? Well, my latest album is already quite old. <laughs> okay. Still. But it's most... called Anubhav. Okay. And how do people, how would anybody get a hold of that? It's everywhere. It's uh, you can get it on CD through Amazon, but it's also on every digital streaming service. So let's just say, apart from our weaving in and out, please everybody get that, get a shot at listening to that music, and relax when you're listening to it, and just let it. Don't worry too much about all the things we're talking about. Just you can just you can just receive it. You can just feel it. You can just listen to it. Right. They don't have to know everything about everything to do that. Right. They don't have. That's the beauty of Kirtan. So this is where I was going with it. Um, You know, there is a tradition of Kirtan practice that involves strict training in India. But what we are doing is Sankirtan, which is in satsang we're singing. And this is available to everyone. Wow. And this is what you see when you walk into a temple in India. Everybody's just singing Sri Ram, Jai Ram and clapping. And it's beautiful. It's beautiful. It's necessary. It's like going to, you know, I mean, I know a lot of people don't like going to church, but I loved going to church <laughs> because I loved, um, oh, communion was the word I was thinking about. Oh, yeah. Okay. Uh-huh. It came back to me just now. Um, so there is that. But. I don't know how it happens. 
you know, during COVID, a lot of chants came to me. I chanted a lot online, you know, virtually with people. And, uh, you know, my partner, Brad, is a, is a supremely trained musician. And fortunately for me, he likes to play with me. Mm-hmm. And he gives me a lot of encouragement and writes out the music for me and my musicians, not for me, but for the musicians who want to play with me. Mm. And, you know, we've really, we really feel like we want to put this bunch of new stuff that I've been chanting that I would like to record. And another project, David, I want to mention to you, because this does involve a lot of creativity that we believe is helpful for spiritual practice. And this is my work with uh, Lopan Chandra Easton, who is a senior student and a teacher initiated by Lama Tsultram Alioni in her tradition. Now, Chandra is very well studied. She's, she can, she's fluent in Tibetan and she studied all the scriptures and so forth. And she's studied many different things, many different Tibetan Buddhist practices. She's also a yogini and so on, but she also loves to sing. And um, I met her through Lama Tsultrim and we have a very strong friendship and we understood that we both really love aspects of each other's practice. And we started to teach together as part of Tibet House's offerings online. And we sort of share in Tibetan as well as Indian Hindu practices, primarily around the divine feminine, but also encompassing other things. And she is writing a book on the 21 Taras, Mm -hmm. bringing it into the modern day. And like, how does this apply to us? And what we have been working together on in a project called the 21 Taras Collective is taking the mantras associated with each of these 21 Taras, which is a a practice in and of itself. Um, And there are many books written about it, but putting them to melody so that they can be sung rather than just chanted in the traditional Tibetan way. And we went and received... um, the um i wouldn't i don't know if the word is really initiation but the permission from some original rinpoches up in upstate new york who have written about these 21 taras and we sang for them and for their sangha and he gave the special um blessing to chandra for writing her book and he thought that the singing of the melodies was very important for sharing this practice so how totally awesome isn't it? What a great project. It's a beautiful project. Because it also crosses over some bridges, you know, of uh, of the Buddhist and the and the, you know, kirtan and and bhakti traditions. Definitely. And it's also crossing over into the <clears throat> western access point. Yes. That's and is that the stuff that you've been doing at Tibet House and so forth and when we yeah, see so, ads for your programs? Yeah, so we do a okay. monthly program where we share practices, but in the background the Chandra and, and I and Genevieve, who you also know very well, is sure. the, our third uh, member of our 21 Taras Collective. And just for everybody, she's the violinist in Krishna Das's band and also a serious practitioner herself. Yes. Great person. Yeah. It's beautiful. And so we've, we got together, I don't know if it's last year, I don't know, COVID has, anyway, we've gotten together yeah. a few times and we intensely worked together at Menla. And 
it was, I've never done this before, where you sit with a piece of writing words, in this case, mantra, and feel what melody arises. Like, I've never done that before. And that so, is called composing. Thank you. No, so, there's no more to composing than that. I just want to go on the record as saying that is called composing. Actually, you don't do anything other than receive some kind of natural flow of, of melody and rhythm. So we did that. It was a really beautiful experience. Like we sat together. No one else was there. It was during COVID. We cooked food together. We slept together in the same house. We went for walks in the woods. And we had brought with us, because we had already started to immerse in the mantras, like just reading. And we decided to present the mantras in the Sanskrit form rather than in the Tibetan because they're slightly different in the way they're pronounced and so on. So we use the Sanskrit instead because it's phonetic, easily transmittable to other people. So we're doing the pronunciation in the Sanskrit form. And um, and just in the process of even just before getting to Menla, you know, while Genevieve is out, you know, she composes on her own because she's got her own two albums as well. Right. She came up with melodies. They both live in the Bay Area, so they got together and sang. Chandra had some own melodies of her own. And then I brought some melodies to the table. And now we have a full repertoire, I guess. <laughs> of And so we've been using those melodies and sharing them with people to see how they're received. Is it helpful for people to learn the to learn the mantra and so on? And Could you sing one? Is it possible? So... Yeah. One of the first... It's um, not copywritten material, is it? It will be. It will be. Okay. So, um, <laughs> but it's not, It's not. we don't have anything in... It's fine. I've sung okay. it live and, and, you know, online. And, okay. And, yeah. But, Just a taste, maybe. Yeah. So one of the Taras that really appealed to me, because when I went to Lama Sultram's temple, she has all the murtis, the consecrated strat statues, in a circular formation in this beautiful temple. And I stood in front of each one of the Taras. There's a visual transmission. There's the mantra. And then you can sit and meditate. And I spent a lot of time doing that. And there were some of them that particularly called to me. And this one of them is Tara 12. Her name is Tashi Donjema. And she is the Tara of that brings about auspiciousness, which is very similar to a form of the Indian goddess Lakshmi. And Lakshmi is the goddess who we want to have her move into our home because she protects everything we value. Mm. And that doesn't mean just monetary wealth. It means the food that we eat, our education that we receive, our health, our home. And then with that, with that sense of well-being, we can then receive the teachings that Goddess Saraswati then brings to us in the form of wisdom. So this Tara, um, Tashi Donjema, her mantra is Om Tare. So we know the 10-syllable mantra, the standard one, Om Tare Tu Tare uh, Soha, or Soha Swaha, depending on where you're from. But when you're chanting the mantras to the 21 Taras, we insert additional words that are specific to this Tara. So this mantra is Om Tare Tu Tare Tu Re, Mangalam, which is auspiciousness, auspiciousness, Shri, which is again the Sanskrit name for the goddess in her auspicious, who brings about auspiciousness. 
maha pani swaha so maha is great and pani is great merit achievement swaha may it be so okay so um the melody that came to me is very simple it's um it goes like this om om tare tu tare tu re wait that's a different mantra see i need my harmonium just give me a second Om tare tu tare tu re Mangalam shri mahapani swaha Om tare tu tare tu re Mangalam shri mahapani swaha Om tare tu tare tu re Mangalam shri mahapani swaha Om tare tu tare tu re Mangalam shri mahapani swaha Om tare tu tare tu re Mangalam shri mahapani swaha Yeah but <laughs> Wow Um So that's one. Well, thank you so much for sharing that. As we say in art, a picture's worth a thousand words. Um, and also for explicating it. This is an interesting aspect of some of these teachings is they're quite intuitive. They touch intuitive spaces. And then in the Pandita style, you know, you also can sort of give a kind of as my high school French teacher used to say, explication de texte. De texte. Explication de texte, explaining it. Uh, um, because we didn't grow up with these. I, I think in India it could, or Tibet, somebody knew who Tara was growing up. It was just like like people here know who Mickey Mouse is, you know, or, or Donald Duck, It's it's um, or a superhero. So um, you, I think, um, I've said this to you before, but you have a real gift at articulating for somebody who's not initiated into it and who may not be able to make the intuitive leap what exactly is going on there without having to buy into some kind of cultural, uh, you know, uh, divergent experience, you know. So that's a gift, you know. It's really lovely that you just shared it um, so gracefully. The only the only thing left to touch on, and I, I mean, I feel like, if if there was no form to this podcast, I would have you sing that for about another half hour, mm-hmm. and I would just sit here and enjoy it, and I'm sure other people would too. But tying a bow on it, we've sort of talked about spiritual practice, which, you know, I think we covered that. Creativity, 
just for the people out there to know, you are the business manager of this fairly significant global organization, which is built, you know, around um, the the uh, lineage of Maharaji. But as per, you know, particularly you work with Krishna Das, and uh, you know, to some extent, the Ramdas uh, Foundation. And you're you're a crackerjack business person. You take care of business. You know, you, it's funny because I think you, in the groove, you know, you're able to lock in the groove. You also are very professional very straightforward when you're dealing with business i know sometimes you have to say no to people that's that's a tough part of doing business sometimes other times you're making you're orchestrating things that are a little bit like wobbly like who's going to be where when what you know i have never arrived at a gig with katie without knowing where i was going to be uh in a timely fashion what tests i might have needed during a pandemic uh who's going to be arranging cars and pickups food what's going to be happening and getting paid on time for the work. Uh, so, you know, is that where did you get those chops from? Mm-hmm. Well, my father was a very um, organized human being, and he always did the right thing and was always looking out for the other person that he was working with. Um, mm. And he, I think my sisters and I all got that from him. Mm. But um, I mean, maybe my mind is just, you know, kind of in that form, you know, because I don't have that kind of artist view I see in Brad, for example. You know, he has a very different approach to the world in a certain way. Mm-hmm. And, um, it's not it's not better or worse. It's just a different entry and way he looks at things. More um, kind of right brain, if you, if you, if you will. I guess. Is, yeah. Maybe that's one way of saying it. But ultimately, we have to deal with both sides of our brain. So right. I guess this is my brain that fires first. Right. And um, so, I mean, I did study economics in college because I wanted very much to, it was very interesting to me to see numbers and formulas projected on human choices that are made entirely from the heart (laughs) and then business and how business utilizes that for their benefit. So I always found that very interesting and I still do. I I still like to write, read economic papers, but, and, you know, I ended up working in banking where I was keeping charge, uh, keeping track of uh, foreign exchange and derivative product trades for traders. I mean, I did a lot of different things before I got here. But I think also my my just that's just the way I am. I, I uh-huh. like just to structure everything. You know how we are when we when we did Krishna Das's um, Kirtanwala album, which you produced. Right. I wanted my spreadsheets. I needed to know all of your what you were anticipating needed to be spent. What was actually happening? Keep track of things. That's the way I so my mandala, so to speak, so that I can navigate everything. You know. Yeah. Well, and if you look at the sand mandala, for example, the word here is precision. Yeah. You know, we sort of borrowed from Pema Chodron's uh, book, uh, you know, um, this, this one of the chapters um, is called um, Gentleness, Precision, and Letting Go. And we've used that as a thread throughout the entire Dharma Moon training. So this is the precision element of it. And there's no letting go without precision. It's an ironic thing. You know, when Musicians are saying, I'm just going to jam free. And so if they didn't have the training and the precision, the, the improvisation is, is, is not going to be as, as. Uh, exactly. As I love that. I yeah. love that. I love yeah. that. 
And and it's true. Like I I make spreadsheets and itineraries, you know. So, but you, as you know, it all just changes. Like Stu- stuff home. happens. Yeah, stuff happens. And but at least you have a framework within which to yeah to look at things. And I have a hard time just not doing that. It's very difficult for me to yeah jump into something. So it's a bit of a pain in the ass for people, but I think it helps. What's always interesting to me in these conversations is to watch somebody's energy shift when they yeah. move into the different part of this trigram, you know, and it's almost like, uh, you know, there are people who are developing. It's like you go to the gym mm-hmm. to develop your weak muscles, not your strong ones, you know, and there are people who are like so intuitive and so creative and then, but they haven't used that muscle of the kind of a integrative part. And then there's people who are like unbelievably precise and clear, but it's not yet in the service of their real, their authentic uh, heart, you know. And um, I, I think our our mission, at least as far as you know, what's left of it is for, for Dharma Moon is to um, see about um, acknowledging the whole person uh, and and bringing those worlds together because they're not doing so well separate. Really, actually, the the fact that the spiritual things went up into the mountains and the caves and just, you know, isolated, you could look at Tibet being, you know, uh, you know, exploded out into the rest of the world. You could look at the globalization of culture and things. And you could look at the, you know, the other thing that you have going on, Nina, which you might will let people know about in, in the uh, in in the uh printout for the podcast is that you're a conservationist and a naturalist. And a lot of the work you're doing is, is voluntarily dedicating towards preservation of natural resources. Is that right? It has to do specific. I mean, I'm always concerned about that to the point where my, my garden in upstate New York is all native species and I want birds and butterflies and uh, medicinal plants to grow and so on, like to bring back biodiversity. But I have a particular pull, just like to the teachings from India, also the jungles of India. And my understanding from all the conservationists I've worked with over the years is if we don't continue to preserve the natural lands, wild wilderness lands, not just in India, everywhere in the world, there is no way that we can preserve the wisdom and knowledge that is born in nature itself. We don't know everything. We don't know what we need. We don't know how nature provides for us all the time. We we just keep taking and we don't fully understand. Mm. And also just from the simple standpoint of beauty, do we want all of this to be lost? Mm. I mean, look at the depictions of like behind you. Every aspect of that image is us in nature. Mm-hmm. Do we want it to be just virtual reality? Mm. Well, whatever, you know, however you want to direct people's attention, we can sort of embed it. Well, and, um, you know, we've covered uh, quite a range. Mm-hmm. And what, what I felt was, boy, we moved into a new neighborhood and you were right there meeting it, you know. So um, it's it's just from my perspective, it was just a delight 
to have this kind of chat with you. Of course, we talk all the time about everything under the sun and we're like family, but um, this was a very special view of what of, of, of who you are and what, what you're doing. And I'm happy to share it with our audience. So Nina Rao, um, thank you so much for joining us for this particular session of creativity, spirituality, and making a buck. What a, what a joy. Najib, I can't begin to tell you how much I've learned from you over the years. If I haven't said so, I'll say so now. And I hope that we continue to practice together and be a family together like this. There you have it, folks. What I believe is episode number 39 of the Creativity, Spirituality, and Making a Book podcast on the Be Here Now Network. Uh, Thank you very much for listening and joining us. We'd like to send a huge thank you to Nina for generously joining us. Uh, I really enjoyed this podcast. I thought it was beautiful. I got a lot out of it, and that's our aspiration, that this be a benefit to all of you, our listeners. So... Thank you for listening. That's my second thank you for listening in this, which is an improvised outro. So uh, let's get right to it. If you would like to join us in community or take a workshop on mindfulness, please head over to dharmamoon.com. We've got lots of great offerings running all the time. Um, You know, these podcasts are evergreen, so depending on on when you're listening... This may be uh, what's happening, or it may not. So head to our website. Again, that's dharmamoon.com. Every third Sunday of the month, we have a free community meditation gathering from 10 a.m. to 1 p.m. You can drop in, drop out whenever you need to. And we're just uh, simple instruction on that one and uh, time to practice, which is important. Uh, We have an upcoming free mindfulness meditation teacher training info session. We have two of them, actually. Thursday, January 19th, 2023, from 6 p.m. to 7 p.m. Eastern with special guest Duncan Trussell. Duncan Trussell, comedian, podcaster, and creator of acclaimed Netflix animated series The Midnight Gospel. And then on Tuesday, February 14th, 2023, from 6 p.m. to 7 p.m., we have another mindfulness meditation teacher training info session with the esteemed Buddhist scholar, Professor Robert Thurman, joining us. And um, he is also the founder of the Tibet House, the cultural home of His Holiness the Dalai Lama. And our Dharma Moon uh, teacher training is offered in association with them. So if you take the full 100 hours, you get a certificate from both of us. And you can also just take the first weekend, which is an awesome introduction to Buddhism and the path of meditation with a focus on mindfulness. Um, We do some other practices like loving kindness, meditation and whatnot. And you can sign up for that first weekend and, you know, choose whether or not to do the full 100 hours. Uh, Ethan Nickturn is currently offering a year-long Buddhist studies course with us at Dharma Moon. And, uh, yeah, we also now have one-to-one mentoring. So uh, if you would like to get a trained mindfulness meditation teacher, um, we have a rigorous program and lots of great teachers. You can head over to dharmamoon.com slash 1-1-training. Okay, that's all the Dharma Moon stuff. 
If you like this podcast, I mean, come on. You have to head over to BeHereNowNetwork.com. If you want to see more of these podcasts, you can specifically head to BeHereNowNetwork.com slash David or just check out the amazing, ever-growing offerings uh, from Be Here Now from many wisdom traditions, great t-shirts, Sharon Salzberg, Joseph Goldstein, etc., etc. Um, you know, so many great teachers, they deserve more than an etc., but... We're coming to the closing of the episode, and you're probably like, come on, is this guy going to stop talking? But if you're still listening, I'd like to thank you for listening. That's the third thank you for listening on this outro monologue. Uh, Big shout-out and thank you to Corey and everyone at the Be Here Now Network for all their hard work on this podcast and post-production and distribution, and in general for carrying on the legacy of Ramdas. If you like this podcast, we encourage you to share it on social media, uh, give us a five star, six star, eleven star rating on whatever um, platform you listen and can share on. It'll really help us, and it'll help us get the word out, and uh, hopefully, you know, preach the good news of mindfulness in a non-proselytory way. Is proselytory a word? Anyway, if you're listening, thanks for listening. That's the fourth. Thank you for listening. We're gonna wrap it up here. May you be safe, healthy, happy, and at ease. And all the best. Much love. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Time can feel like it's in short supply. Between work, family, and friends, there's very little time left just for you. What would you do with an extra hour in your day? What's important to you? Therapy can help you find what matters to you so that you can do more of it. It's a great way to increase self-awareness, build a greater sense of purpose, deal with overthinking, and more. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online and designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Learn to make time for what makes you happy with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash be here now today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash be here now.